G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. Everybody has an issue in your life that is strangling you, sucking the life right out of you. Today with Jeff Vines. Hi and welcome. My name is Bill. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. Now we all have problems And we all have that thing that might come up again and again that seems insurmountable. In this episode, Pastor Jeff looks at something called the Nazarite vow and how giving our problems up to God will give us the strength to defeat our inner demons. So turn in your Bible to Numbers chapter 6 as we begin this message now with Pastor Jeff on today with Jeff Vines. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, turn over to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. We're going to get into that momentarily. Now, I've got a big question for you. I want you to really think about it. How many in the room have issues in your life? <laughs> I'm so proud of you, man. That's so. Hey, if you have issues in your life, you came to the right church this weekend. Because we all, I mean we, us, together, we all have issues in our life. And here's what I want to talk to you about. And this is what I've noticed again in these 26 plus years of ministry. Everybody in this room, everybody has one major issue. Now, we all have a bunch of issues. We know that. If you, if, if you are, are concerned that you don't know what your issues are, guys, just ask your wife. She'll tell you all of them, okay? <laughs> Same thing happens vice versa. But listen now. Listen, this is important. I've never preached out of number six before. And I wanted to do this for a reason. Everybody in the room has an issue in your life that is strangling you, that is sucking the life right out of you. And at some point in this message, the Holy Spirit of God is going to reveal that to you. Something that just keeps you from being everything you can be for God. Something that keeps you from being able to live the life God wants you to live. And you're sharp people, you know exactly what it is. And it can be a number of things. And that one issue that just about the time you think you're about to be right where you want to be with God, and you think you've conquered this, guess what? There it is. Rears its ugly head, and you go right back to square one. Whatever this issue is, you'll take two gigantic steps forward, and then all of a sudden, when you think you've conquered it, you'll go three steps backward. It can be something as simple as an unforgiving spirit. Maybe your mother-in-law said something to you years ago, 
and you think you've dealt with it and you've forgiven, but then she says something a few weeks later and boom, it's all back. Somebody that you just can't forgive and you think, man, if I could just forgive this person, my life would be so much better. And you know what? You're right. It could be an addiction to alcohol, pornography, drug addiction. It could be a number of things. You think you've licked it. You think you're on top of it. But about the time that you're about to make great strides and you know, you've, you've, you've crossed the great divide and you're, you know you're about to be with God the way you should be with God and your spirituality is going to be at an all-time high and you've just made it over the hump and now your life is going to be that life that you've wanted, then guess what happens? Boom! It comes back. And there you are and you get depressed and you get defeated and you've seen so many pastors, you've spent most, so much time reading the Bible and praying. But you just, listen, there are some issues that don't go easily. And sometimes they stay with you your entire life. And even if somebody points them out to you, deep down, deep inside, you may defend yourself, but you know it's there. Now, here's what's scary about that. This is the scariest part of all. Everybody has questions they want to ask God when they get to heaven. Here's mine. Why is it that the devil knows exactly what that one issue is? James 1.14. I mean, I'd like that. God, you know, it's bad enough you have the goods on me. Why does he have to have the goods on me too? And guess what he does? He hones in on that one area. And just about the time you're about to be all you can be for God, just about the time your life is about to even out and it's just nothing but downhill smooth sailing from there, guess what happens? That one issue in your life, he's brilliant at just bringing it back and making you feel guilty and convicting you and just sucking the life and the joy right out of you. Now, I've been in ministry, like I said, 26, 27 years, and I've never met a person who didn't have that one issue that they just wish they could overcome. And it's not like they don't want to overcome it. I mean, they want to be better. They want to stop being so bitter. They want to forgive their ex-husband. They want to forgive the ex-wife. They want to forgive their kids. They want to forgive God because there's something that God didn't give them they thought they had the right to have. Or there's something in their life that God did not intervene in when they felt like God should have intervened. They want to be happy. They want to be joyful. They don't want to be bitter. They really don't want to be angry. And they have seasons where they conquer it, but just about the time that everything's going well, boom! And they're right back to square one. There are so many things in life that are easy to grab onto, hard to let go. Now, we all have them, I have them, you have them. And I, I wondered a lot, why, why is it if we have the power of God in us to overcome all things, why are there some things we don't seem to be able to conquer? I mean, are we weak? Is it our fault? What's going on? I believe that every Old Testament narrative has a direct correlation to the good news of the gospel. And if you'll be patient, I mean, if you came here this weekend, you thought, man, I need a good nap. I'm going to take it during the sermon. It was the wrong weekend to do that <laughs> because truth is learned best when there's tension rather than when information is just dispensed. So I'm not going to stand here and just dispense information this weekend. I'm going to take you through this powerful narrative. And if you'll go with me through it, guess what's going to happen at the end? You're going to have what I believe to be the biblical answer of how you can finally be free of this thing. How the shackles can be broken. 
And you're going to go, I got it now. It's going to happen. It's a reality. I finally found out. No one ever preached on this passage when I was growing up. No one. I never heard one sermon on it. And now here we are. And I believe we're going to get free. I think some good things are going to happen, but you got to go through the text. Will you do that with me? And I'll do it as fast as possible. I'll even talk even faster. <laughs> Numbers chapter 6, verse 1. Here's what the Lord said to Moses. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of dedication to the Lord as a Nazarite. Now, I have to stop there because I have to identify and define two words. The first is special. It's the word, very difficult word in Hebrew, but it's pronounced phileo. Like filet of fish. Sorry, that's how it's pronounced. And it means something that is special. It means something that is extraordinary. It's combined with this idea of the Nazarite vow. Now, a Nazarite, I mean, what does that mean? Somebody who came from Nazareth? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Nazarite comes from two ideas from the Hebrew word Nazir. And Nazir refers to two things. One, a head covering, which we're going to get into in a moment. And two, a head covering that sets you apart. So that's what a Nazir is, head covering that sets you apart. When it's combined with this word fillet that means special or extraordinary, here's what we have. A vow that involves doing extraordinary things so that something extraordinary might be done to you and in you. You got it? So the person who enters the vow is desperate. They tried every means and measures possible they come to God and they make an extraordinary vow, which means they're going to do something extraordinary in their lives so that God would do something extraordinary in theirs. Now, let me show you the way, just quickly, two other instances where fillet is used in the Bible. In Judges 13, we meet a man by the name of Manoah. It doesn't matter who he is. It's not, about, it's not the point of the story. But whoever he is, he takes a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing. Now, guess what word that is? It's the word fillet. So now it's interpreted or translated amazing. First special, now amazing. What was the amazing thing? Verse 20, as the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Well, that's pretty amazing. You have an offering and then the flame goes up and the angel of the Lord ascends. So now we have the idea of something amazing. That's what fillet means. Something special, extraordinary, something amazing. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 77, David uses the word, and he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. And guess what word miracles is? Filet. So we have something special, something extraordinary, and now we have something miraculous. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word for telephone is filet phone. A miracle phone. Because it's a miraculous thing to be able to talk to each other the way we do. Miraculous, extraordinary, special. So that the person who makes the Nazarite vow, there's something in their lives that they just don't seem to be able to shake. So they come to God and they say, I'm going to do something extraordinary, God, that you might do something extraordinary, outstanding, miraculous, wondrous in me. Now, there are three components to the vow. Here's the first one. You find it in verse 3. They must abstain from wine and other fermented drink and must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. And they must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. So the first component, if you're going to enter into the vow, is no wine. That's not a big thing to you and me, is it? Oh, we can cut out wine. But folks, wine among these people, it was like they had wine to celebrate everything. I mean, they drank wine to celebrate drinking wine. 
They loved wine. It was a central component of their culture. Every Friday when the sun went down and the Sabbath was ushered in, they brought it in by drinking wine. Every national holy day or holiday, they did so ushering it in by drinking wine. It was the way of life. Now, I just attended uh, my niece's wedding on Friday night out at Etiwanda Gardens. And doesn't she look gorgeous? She looks gorgeous. And this guy's not so bad too, actually. And this guy over here, no. I enjoyed the wedding because I didn't have to do anything. Usually, you know, you have to perform the ceremony and I gotta worry about everything. But this was one of those weddings I just didn't have any role, really. And I just got to enjoy the food and the preaching and everything else that surrounded it. But, you know, I've lived in New Zealand and I've lived in Zimbabwe and I've lived in Georgia and I've lived in California. Those are four different cultures, especially Georgia. Now, that's a culture of its own. And every culture has different traditions when it comes to weddings and funerals and celebration. And it just made me think of this text I'd been studying all week and how in the Jewish culture, man, wine, a huge part of culture. Even when they celebrated the Passover, they celebrated with four cups of wine. Now, it was only one cup, but they filled it four times. What a celebration to remember the four promises that God had made the Israelites. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to redeem you. And I'm going to bring you to myself. So that Jesus, when he celebrates the Passover with the disciples, drinks from the third cup, the cup of redemption, right? Now, why do I go through all that? Because the per listen now, man, you got to go through this. The person who has decided that they need God to act and respond in an extraordinary way to help them shake something they've not been able to shake radically alters the typical way of life. They change something that they believe to be unchangeable, something that is so much part of them. For you and me, it's not like giving up chocolate or giving up dessert. This would be like giving up food, period. Think about it. We in America, we celebrate everything with what? Food, 4th of July, food, Christmas, food, Thanksgiving, food. Let's have some food. <laughs> You're saying that I'm going to radically alter my life and that when I get these invitations to wine tasting parties, I'm going to say no. When there's festivities, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, but I declined to go. Moreover, wine was the symbol of joy. So you're going to give up something that is central to the enjoyment of your life. As a matter of fact, in verse 3b, we're told, they must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, not even the seeds or skins. So you not only can't have wine, you can't have grapes and no chocolate raisins. You can't have anything. The person who's serious about the vow. Number one, no wine. Number two, don't cut your hair. Now there's some children around here saying, see dad, I told you it's right there in the Bible. Don't cut your hair. Verse five says, during the entire period of the Nazarite vow, no razor may be used on their head. They must be holy until the period of their dedication to the Lord is over. Now, this is, stay with me. This is beautiful imagery here. I can't go through the whole thing of the Nazarite vow, but why the long hair? Why, why can't you touch your head with a razor? Most of us seem to think that in the Old Testament times, everybody had long hair. Not true. They had longish hair, but we're now talking about a time when you will go through a vow that you don't Touch your head with a razor, which means your hair's growing long and your beard, your facial hair, everything's just growing out. Now, the reason they did this is because when you met a person who looked like this, you knew exactly what they were doing. Wow, here's a guy or a girl that's taking the Nazarite vow. Now, I didn't say the ladies had beards and mustaches. I'm just saying <laughs> that if you're taking the Nazarite vow, you're, you, you meet someone, you're saying, wow, look at this. This is impressive. It's a glorious sight. 
so that they could hold you accountable. If they saw the outward demonstration of your vow, they're not going to come over to you and invite you to a wine tasting party. They're going to hold you accountable. They're going to support you in the vow that you've made. And they're going to say, look, remember, you've made this vow. You need God's extraordinary activity in your life. You need to shake loose of this thing that's binding you. Stay the course. But there's a second reason. When this whole vow... The entire vow is consecrated. When it's consecrated, at the end, when you come to the tent of meeting and it's all over, the season has drawn to an end, God made it clear that he wanted something from your body. You're going to give something from yourself. And because God is a kind God and a gentle God, he didn't want you to have to cut your arm off. So what you do is you grow the hair so that it becomes such a part of you so that the part of you that you give is when you come to the tent of meeting, the first thing they do is shave all the hair off, gather it up, and burn it on the sacrificial altar as the sign that you are giving part of you to God. But the Nazarite vow went farther than that because what it spoke, what it communicated was this, that God was able to take something from you while at the same time making you stronger. You got it? That God was able to take something from you while at the same time making you stronger. Number one, don't drink wine. Number two, don't cut your hair. Number three, don't go near the dead body. Verse six, throughout the entire period of their dedication to the Lord, the Nazarite must not go near a dead body. Even if their own father or mother or brother or sister dies, they must not make themselves ceremonially unclean on account of them because the symbol of their dedication to God is on their head. Now, here's what happens. When you grow the long hair, it becomes a sign of your purity. And you don't want your purity to be defiled in any way, so you don't go around anything that would make you unclean. Now, for you and me, we think, oh, I could do that. I mean, I could abstain from wine, and I could not cut my hair. Matter of fact, I'd love to not cut my hair, and I, I could not go near dead bodies. But hold on a second. Remember, we're in a time when there were no ambulances, when there were no hospices, when there were no hospitals. And here's kind of an indication of the way the family lived in the 5,000, 4,000, 5,000 BC. They were all together in this one compound. And the extended family, imagine this, that you've got mom and dad, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, mother-in-law. Everybody's on the same compound. And the truth is you were born into this, you lived in this, and you died in this. And so... It was your responsibility when one, like when great grandpa who would be living in the same compound died, it was your responsibility to help carry his body and give him a proper burial. Death was an everyday almost part of life. When you had the extended family living together, you had so many cousins, aunts, uncles, everybody right here. I mean, imagine living just across the courtyard from your mother-in-law. That to me is miraculous in and of itself that more people didn't die earlier. And so if somebody dies, your responsibility is to carry the body. Again, it's the same thing. It's the whole idea that if you're going to enter into this vow with God, that you are going to radically change, radically alter the way you've been living. And what has been commonplace to you is no longer going to be common. That for a season, you're going to give those things up. Now, how long did the vow last? Well, look at verse 5. They must be holy until the period of their dedication to the Lord is over. Now, that doesn't really tell us a lot, does it? How long does the vow last? Until the period of dedication to the Lord is over. In other words, it ain't over till it's over. But how long? Now, here's what we know about the Nazarite vow. The people who took them, number one, they were desperate. They'd come to the end of the rope. There was an illness that they needed God to get involved in. There was a depression. There was anxiety. 
There was something going on in their lives they just couldn't conquer, they couldn't shake, and they wanted to shake, so they came to God. And the duration of the vow directly corresponded to how bad they wanted God's involvement. How desperate are you? And so we have historical references of people entering into the vow for 30 days, 90 days, one year, three years, and we even have a historical reference of someone entering into the Nazarite vow for seven years, seven years of not growing your hair, seven years, rather, of not allowing a razor to touch your hair, seven years of no wine, seven years of no dead body, seven years where you dramatically alter what is commonplace to your life. And the question always associated with the Nazarite vow was how badly do you want to overcome what's plaguing you? How badly do you want to shake loose what's binding you? How badly do you want to free yourself of what's strangling you and sucking the life right out of you? How badly do you want to break free from the thing that is binding you and pulling you away from God? We'll look into that question more next time. But for now, we'll have to pause there. We'll be looking more into the Nazarite vow and how we can come back to God despite our problems. Now, folks, I believe that there's a remedy. The underlying theme of the Nazarite vow was this, how bad do you want to change? How far would you go to get God involved and to bring something special, miraculous, extravagant? Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.